welcome. We're really glad that you're here with us. And so we are starting a new sermon series today in the book of uh, Daniel. And so if you've got uh, a Bible, go to Daniel chapter 1. And uh, the title of the series is The World Seems Out of Control, But. And in, in every message, uh, what I want to do at least, uh, we may do more than this at times, but in every message, uh, what I want to try to do is give you a biblical conviction, an action to take based on the conviction, and show you ultimately how it connects to Christ because all the Bible is about Jesus. Okay, so the, the hero of the book of Daniel is not Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego. And if I slip and call them Rackshack and Benny at some point, <laughs> some of you will understand, some of you will be confused, but my kids grew up on VeggieTales, so that, that's where it comes from. But, um, you know, Daniel's not the hero. Ultimately, Daniel is about the fact that God is sovereign, he's in control, he rules and reigns uh, over the world, over nations, over rulers, uh, over individuals. He's writing his story of the world, and he's writing his story of our lives, and he's connecting the two together. It's about the fact that Jesus is Lord, and, 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 and the question is, are we going to submit to him? Now, we can talk about God being sovereign, God being in control, all those kind of things. But the reality is, if, we're gonna, if we really believe that and we're going to live that way, this is definitely an area where we have to walk by faith and not by sight. Because if we're living by sight, our sight tells us that this world is out of control. Right? Just that things are nuts. Uh, I mean, you've got the economy struggling. You've got war in Ukraine. Uh, so much division and hatred. We're battling over abortion. We're battling over gender and sexuality. Uh, there's an assault on the family. The world seems to be out of control. Now, there's a sense in which the world never has been or never will be out of control because God's sovereign. There's another sense that the world has been out of control on a human perspective ever since the fall. It was in the time of Daniel. And it is today. And so I'm sure to Daniel and his people around 600 B.C. when these events recorded in chapter 1 were happening, that the world seemed like it was out of control. The prophets have been prophesying for years that if the people didn't repent, that they were going to be sent into exile, into captivity in Babylon. And now that was being fulfilled. And um, you know, the, the, the people for years had not heeded the voice of God through the prophets, and now they had a king named Jehoiakim who was particularly wicked, and God said, enough is enough, and, and, and now uh, is the time. And so that's where we begin in Daniel chapter 1. And so as we look at the, the first seven verses, I want us to see that the world seems out of control. Why? Well, number one, we experience the consequences of our sin and the sin of others. Look at what it says in the first couple of verses here. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Now, let me stop and say something there. So, and we'll touch on this through the course of the book. But Daniel is one of the books in the Bible that's most attacked by critics of the Bible. 
And the reason is, if, if Daniel actually wrote Daniel uh, in, in the you know, 500s B.C., he was, com- uh, he was incredibly accurate in predicting things that were going to happen in the future. And, and so, some people, to explain the Bible away, because predictive prophecy actually being fulfilled is hard to explain away, try to move the, the writing of Daniel up to around the 2nd century B.C., basically uh, where the, the writer, this fake Daniel, was uh, writing things that after they actually happened, like it was before they happened, if that makes sense. And, um, of course, one problem with that is the fact that Ezekiel said Daniel was a real person. And maybe even more importantly, in Matthew 24, Jesus affirmed Daniel as the writer uh, of Daniel in, you know, the way that things actually happen. And see, that's one thing when you start criticizing and attacking the Bible. If one part's wrong, everything connects together, so you got to start tearing other things out of your Bible. That's why, part of the reason why I believe it's all true or none of it's true. So, uh, but the reason I say that is when it says here in the year of uh, the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the third year of the reign, um, Jeremiah said it was the fourth year of his reign. And so that seems like a contradiction, but there's a really simple explanation. And it is because the Babylonians considered the first year the accession year. And so they didn't actually start counting, really. Year one would have been started at the next calendar year. In Judah, they would have started as soon as the king took the throne. So that's why one says third year, one says uh, the, the fourth year. There's no contradiction there. It's just a different way of dating it or, or, or counting it. And it says in, in verse 2, The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, back to Babylon, to the house of his God, and he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. <clears throat> so, they were experiencing the consequences of their sin, of their idolatry, of their rejection of the Lord and his messengers over the years, and now God was judging them. Next, we see that we experience challenging circumstances in a fallen, broken world. The world's been broken ever since the fall. In a sense, we live in exile, spiritually speaking. We live east of Eden. Nothing is what it was supposed to be. In verse 3, it says, The king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, some translations would say. Um, others would say court official, and that's important. One of the things that's debated about Daniel is it may have been that Daniel and his friends were actually castrated because that was what it would be meant by eunuchs. Now, that, that's debatable because, like I say, you could translate court, that court official I- I- instead of eunuchs. But anyway, it says to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of uh, the, the nobles. So Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego possibly were royalty, were in that line, they were at least part of the nobility. I mean, they were up at the top of the food chain, so to speak. But, but, but this is the point I'm making. You know, we don't always experience difficulties in life directly because of our own sin. We can experience it because of the sins of others. And just because we live in a fallen world, 
there's going to be bad stuff happen. Listen, th- these were probably teenagers, is what, what most Bible scholars think. They hadn't been rejecting the Lord for the last uh, several decades. I mean, they weren't the cause of this, but they were experiencing some of the difficulties of it. And, you know, one of the things we have to understand is the fact that God is in control does not keep bad things from happening because part of God's sovereignty is he lets us experience the consequences of our actions so we're all directly and indirectly experiencing the consequences of the fall. We want to be in control, but the thought of us being in control is one of the greatest delusions there is. We were reminded of this Friday night, you know, uh, our daughter Lily, just a couple of, uh, two weeks ago, you know, a little over that, we left her at college in, in Birmingham, and we'd had some people over Friday night, and afterwards, I don't know, about 10 o'clock, Rob and I were sitting in the living room watching the, the U.S. Open tennis tournament, and Lily calls uh, to tell us uh, that she's been in a wreck, and she, she got rear-ended, and nobody was hurt, and it's just very minor damage. But that's a real fast reminder, you know, when you leave your kid at college, uh, your last one, you're, you know, you're dealing with all of that, and you get that call that something's happened, we're not in control. So we experience just difficulties living in a fallen world. We experience opposition from the world as God's people. Look at verses 4 through 7. Um, you know, what we just saw in verse 3, that the Ashpenaz was instructed to bring some of the children of Israel, you know, into Babylon. Well, here's the criteria. Young men in whom there was no blemish, good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand. So, these were the cream of the crop, right? Girls, you would have been checking these guys out. I mean, and, and, and not just that, but these are like been the kind of guys your moms would have been picking out for you. I know you do that, moms. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, these were the cream of uh, the crop. You know, they're described this way. It says uh, they had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. And so we see here that Nebuchadnezzar was seeking to isolate, indoctrinate, and assimilate these Hebrew uh, young men into the Babylonian culture. And it's what the culture, it's what the world is still doing today. Right? The world wants to isolate, indoctrinate, and assimilate our kids into its mold. And parents, we need to remember that somebody's going to disciple our kids. I mean, the world through... TV, music, movies, uh, social media, uh, commercials is trying to disciple our kids. 
and that's a lot to fight against. So we better use a, a lot of wisdom and a lot of effort to seek to be the ones who are discipling our children, uh, to seek to be the ones who are exerting the most uh, influence on them. That's our job. But I would also use the church and partner with the church as much as I could to have other people come alongside and help in that process in, in kids' ministry, youth ministry, those kinds of things. And then I think we also need to think about, and this is just kind of the, the setup, and then we'll get to the conviction and action. You know, we can often feel like the world is winning and God's people are losing. I mean, isn't that what this, this first seven verses of Daniel looks like? Isn't that what the world looks like a lot of times? Isn't that what we feel like, if we're honest, a, a lot of times? I, I mean, sometimes we wrestle with the question that Asaph did in the 73rd Psalm. It's like, God, why are the wicked getting ahead and I'm struggling so much? Or, you know, we ask the question maybe on a broader level, you know, why does it seem like, seem like Christian values are, are going away and our nation's going downhill and, and those kind of things. So, you know, it can feel like that we're losing. It can feel like everything's out of control. We can be like, where are you, God, and what are you doing, and have you forgotten about us? But this is the conviction that I think God wants us to have from his word, from the book of Daniel, from chapter 1 here, is that the world seems out of control, but God is in control. He's sovereign. He's on his throne, and he's raising up people to make a difference in the world. The world seems out of control, but God is in control, and he's raising up people to make a difference in the world. The world. Look at what the text says here in, in Daniel chapter 1. I want us to look at part of one of the verses again, then we'll move ahead to some of the other verses. I want you to see these statements of God's sovereignty. I, I want you to see what's going on behind the scenes. See, one of the, the big themes of the book of Daniel, that, uh, especially in, in, in chapter 10, is that, you know, there's a seen world and there's things that we can see that are happening, but there's an unseen world. There's a spiritual battle behind everything, and God is in control of that. And again, he's calling us to walk not by sight, but by faith. When, when the world seems out of control, the only way to navigate it is by faith and not by sight. Because if we're walking by sight, we're going to get sucked into the craziness of the world. But, but look at these statements of God's sovereignty. Chapter 1, uh, verse 2 says, The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Understand, it, it looks like God's people were losing. It, it, it looks like Nebuchadnezzar had won. I'm sure there was a celebration in Babylon. I mean, this would have been an embarrassment. I mean, they, they took some of the articles of the house of God and brought it into the house of an idol? Where's God? 
But this says that God gave all of this to Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Because Nebuchadnezzar was actually being used by God to fulfill his covenant promises and to discipline the people of God and, and to prepare them to be who God wanted them to be for him to be able to bless them. You see, we live so much in the moment, and I'm guilty of this. God's on a completely different timetable than us. God's working out his plans. Now, look at verse 9. It says, Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. So, as, as this chapter plays out, and we'll read the main part of it shortly, but as this chapter plays out, what we see here is that God was the one who gave Daniel the favor to make this happen. Now, let's step back for a second. Let me ask you a question, though. If God gave him favor with the chief of the eunuchs, would that not presuppose that God had a purpose in him being there? That it wasn't accident? It wasn't coincidence, but it was intentional. Look at verse 17 through 20. It says, as for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and, and among them all, among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they serve before the king. God gifted them in the way uh, that, that he did. And, and God equipped them and prepared them. And God blessed them with the good looks and, and the intelligence and the ability and all that kind of thing. And, and you might be thinking, in this case, good looks and intelligence and ability was kind of a curse. I mean, it you know put their life in a difficult situation. But it was part of God's plan. It says, verse 20, all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in his, his realm. Listen, when we're facing opposition from the world, sometimes we need to be so good at what we do that they may not hate us, but they can't deny us. That's something to remember. I mean, as, as our culture opposes Christianity more and more, we can whine about it, or we can rise above it. We can be skilled and, and have ability and develop ourselves and put ourselves in positions where we may not be wanted, but we're actually needed. I mean, if you're young and still in school, I would heed that advice. And then it says, and, and, and this is an amazing verse, verse 21. Thus Daniel continued, continued, continued until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, what's the significance of that? Cyrus wasn't Babylonian. He was Persian. You know what this means? Daniel was brought into captivity, but he outlasted an empire. He outlasted an empire. Now, we'll come back to this at the end, but you know what this says? It says, God is so sovereign that God's man or God's woman is safe in his hands until his purpose for him or her is complete. 
And listen, if you believe that, if you have that conviction, you can live a life of courage and boldness. And you don't have to shrink in fear. You can live in, in, in the will of God. You can go on mission trips without fear, knowing that if God's finished with you, you can die in Uganda as easily as you can in the United States. Or you can die in the United States or Uganda. But until God's finished with you, it doesn't matter where you are and what you're doing. You're not going to die. He outlasted an empire. That's how much of a difference that he made over time. But here's the reality. The fact that, that God is in control does not mean that life is not hard in a fallen world. God used them. They made a difference. But clearly it wasn't easy. Listen, God promises, Romans 8, 28, to work all things together for good. But he does not promise to work all things together for easy. And that's part of our problem with God, because we're good Americans and we want easy. Danny Aiken has written in his commentary on Daniel. Dale Davis well says, sometimes God may allow hardships to reach us, listen to this, because he wants his mercy to reach beyond us. God's purpose in such hardships is almost always multifaceted. He allows sufferings, suffering in the lives of his people to demonstrate his sovereignty, strengthen their faith, show himself wise and strong, and put his glory on display among the nations that they might be drawn to him. That there is pain for us in all of this is often the case. That there is great gain for the glory of God and the advance of the kingdom is certain. Listen again. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was winning, but God was using him. He was a puppet, a pawn in the hands of the Lord. And think about it. He, he thought that he was bringing these Hebrew young people into his country to brainwash them and, and, and to use them. But really, what was God doing? God was positioning them in a place of influence to be missionaries and, and, and difference makers in a pagan culture. And that's what he's calling us to do today. Listen, God is in control. The world may be going crazy. Our life may seem crazy. Things may be hard. But you don't know what God's doing behind the scenes. An example from my life, and I'm not saying the particular example I'm giving is a, like the most terrible thing that ever happened, but, uh, you know, it was kind of a big deal when we were 12. So, you know, I grew, I grew up playing baseball. When I was 12, my last year of Little League, I had a, I had a uh, really good year, I think. It wasn't, you know, this might be an old man retelling of it, you know, where everything grows. But, um, but uh, you know, that summer I had an opportunity to go to a church camp, and I said, well, I would go unless I make the all-star team in baseball. And uh, according to Richard Price, whose son played in that league, he was a long-time coach at Morristown East, I should have made the all-star team. I got robbed by the coach who won the league. It was a coach of it, put like 10 of his own players uh, on the team. I, I was pretty bummed about this. It seemed uh, really unfair and all this. But I went to camp, and uh, that's actually the year that my brother made a profession of faith at church camp. But uh, once I, I started going, I liked it and went back as a counselor. And about uh, six years later, when me and Rusty were there helping his dad working in the camp, that's where I met Robin through a strange series of circumstances. And what I'm saying is, in some way, God was arranging all of that behind the scenes. And what I thought was a terrible thing at the moment when I was 12 turned into one of the best things that's ever happened in my life. God is connecting the dots of our lives. 
He's bringing about his plan. It doesn't seem like it sometimes, but he is. And he wants to use us in the process. He wants us to be difference makers. I mean, if you think about Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, we're going to see through the book of Daniel time and time again, they're speaking truth to power. They're being witnesses uh, to kings. God's using them to take courageous stands, and they're being a blessing. They're making a difference. They're testifying to the Lord. They're glorifying him. They had to go through a lot of junk to get to that. But God was using them in great ways. So, here's what, we're gonna, here's what we have to decide. Are we going to walk by sight and, and according to our own feelings and our own thoughts and just say, man, the world is out of c- control. Everything's crazy. God's forgotten about me. Or are we going to live with biblical conviction and say, the world seems out of control. But God is in control, and he's raising up difference makers, and that includes me. That's the conviction. Here's the action. If you have that conviction, I want to challenge us to take this action, and 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 I've worded it in in a very intentional, action-oriented way, that we will live with biblical conviction instead of compromising and conforming to the culture so that God will use us to make a difference In the culture. You see, I think the church in 2022 has to decide are we going to whine about the culture or are we going to make a difference in the culture? What are you going to do? Daniel made a difference. We're going to see it time and time again throughout the book. And really, in a lot of ways, what we're seeing in chapter one may be the smallest stand. But just kind of like David killed a bear and a lion before he killed Goliath. If we don't take the small stands, we're probably not going to take the big stands. So look at what he says. This is really probably the heart of the chapter, verses 8 through 16. It says that Daniel purposed in his heart. He made up his mind in advance. That's conviction. That's what we're talking about when we talk about conviction. Daniel purposed in his heart, he made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, you see, because conviction produces action. That's the significance of the therefore. Listen to me. If if what we say is our conviction is not producing obedient action, it's just hypocritical religious churchy talk. Real conviction produces action. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of uh, the the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, uh, the, the king who has appointed you food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days, and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. He was tactful. Then let our appearance be examined before you, and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies, 
and as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward uh, took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So, basically, he asked, they asked, like, we don't want to be defiled by this. Will you humor us, we work with us, and give us a substitute diet. Now, why did this matter? Why, why would they have been defiled by this? And, you know, I don't know if there's an absolute clear answer to this. Bible scholars will debate this. It could have been that they would have considered this food to be unclean for them as a Jew. It could have been that, gone against the Old Testament, uh, the, you know, the laws of Israel, the dietary codes. It could have been food offered to idols, that would have defiled them spiritually. It could have been that they felt like, well, if we do this, it's going to be like us giving complete loyalty uh, to the king, and we can't do that. Or, or it could be that they decided, and we can't just get completely sucked into this culture. Now, you know, there were some things here they went along with. And, you know, when it comes to culture, there's things that we need to reject. Uh, there's things that we can embrace. There's things that can be redeemed. Maybe they just said, we got to draw a line somewhere so that we're in the world but not of the world. This is a step too far. But whatever it was exactly, they had a conviction that they couldn't do this. Now, Stephen Miller writes this. He says, at first glance, this request seems simple enough. But a number of factors rendered this a courageous act. Number one, to refuse the royal diet could have been taken as an insult to the king and as an act of direct obedience, disobedience to Nebuchadnezzar's orders. And per what we read in the text, it could have gotten somebody killed. Right? The chief of the eunuchs, he was afraid that his head was going to get chopped off. Which I'm assuming the same thing could have happened with these boys too. He says, number two, Pressure from Daniel's peers most certainly made the decision difficult. Everyone else was doing it. By choosing this course of action, Daniel and his friends were setting themselves apart from the others. Now they were different, strange. And let's be real. No matter how big we talk, we like to fit in, right? We don't like to be rejected by other people. And, of course, adults will give, uh, you know, kids, teenagers that don't give in to peer pressure talks, but adults are the same way. So, there's the peer pressure made this challenging. Three, such unorthodox behavior could have jeopardized their chances for advancement. Some of you in your careers wrestle with this. Am I going to take shortcuts? Am I going to do what I've told, even if it's unethical, to get ahead? have to wrestle with that sometimes. Four, the quality of food would have been attractive. It was the best in the land. Like bacon versus vegetables. I mean, right? I mean, you know, that's pretty tough, right? You know, say no to bacon, yes to vegetables. I mean, for some of you, that's just like a step too far, right? Five, their new location may have tempted them to be unfaithful. Judah was 900 miles away. Parents and friends would have never known whether or not they kept God's laws. Some of you college students may be wrestling with that. Like, freedom, who's going to know? But Miller says, yet Daniel and his friends were aware of a very important fact. 
Other people might not know their actions, but God would know. And someday all will give an account of themselves to him. And then six, it would have been natural to argue that since God has not protected them from captivity, this horrible situation, they did not have to be careful to obey his commands. They could have become bitter toward God during this time. Again, they may have even been castrated. Sometimes believers fall into this trap. All of these factors could have caused some people to compromise, but Daniel and his friends remained faithful to their God. We face that same temptation. Let's be real. One of Satan's chief lies. God's not giving me a spouse, so what's pornography going to hurt? My spouse isn't treating me right. I can find somebody else over here and I'm going to be happier. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. We can use bad circumstances you know, to, as, to, as justification to do things that we know that we shouldn't do. That would have been a temptation. Listen, the culture wants us to suck, wants to suck us in, shape us in its mold. And, and, and things like this that they would have been dealing with, we deal with the same things today. So let me ask a question. Why would we want to live like the culture? Because culture, the way it is, definitely ain't working. And listen, if you do what everybody else does, you're going to get what everybody else gets. You want what everybody else is getting? To get something different, you got to do something different. I mean, you want the confusion, the depression, the anxiety, the hopelessness, the fatherlessness, the marriage and family breakdown that is so prevalent in our culture? If you don't, don't think like the culture. Don't live like the culture. Live with biblical conviction. Determine to obey God. Determine to make a difference instead of getting sucked in. There's a great book by Craig Rochelle. I have it in my library. But even better than the book itself is the title. This is the title. The title is weird with the subtitle because normal isn't working. Listen, we need some people to get a little weird for Jesus because normal is not working today. We need some people to stand up and be different and live with conviction to get into the Word of God and by the power of Holy, the Holy Spirit live out the Word of God and, and, and to show the way to let God fill us with peace and hope and, and joy and life and purpose and live to make a difference, live to be a blessing to others instead of living for ourselves. Listen, that is going to be the foundation of change in our world. So, what does it mean to live with biblical conviction? Right? I'm sure you've heard the word uh, conviction a lot in church. I'm not sure how much we define it. You know, there's conviction in the sense of, um, like, when the Holy Spirit is speaking to our heart about sin in our life, you know, feel bad about it. That's one sense of it. But, but again, th this isn't the sense I'm talking about here. Uh, 
this, this is what we're talking about here when we talk about conviction. Number one, conviction is produced by the Word of God. Conviction is produced by the Word of God. Daniel took this stand. I mean, we may not know exactly why. I gave three or four possible reasons. But all of those reasons were based on the Word of God. We know from Daniel chapter 6 that since uh, Daniel from a very young age had practiced spiritual disciplines, private habits of devotion, he was in prayer, he was in the word of God, that's how we build conviction into our lives. Number two, conviction is deciding in advance our course of action. And listen, I'm not saying we sometimes we don't go against our own convictions, but listen, you don't usually develop convictions in the moment. You better decide in advance what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. Uh, listen, sometimes conviction is deciding in advance to not put ourselves in a place of temptation, not spending too much time alone with our girlfriend, boyfriend, that kind of thing. It, it, it's being wise and deciding in advance what's right, what's wrong, what we're going to do, what we're not going to do. Number three, conviction is an expression of the lordship of Christ over us. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? We can't live in disobedience and say we're living with conviction. Number four, conviction produces obedience by prompting certain actions and preventing other actions. In other words, uh, th this is what I'm talking about with conviction, co uh, producing obedience. Uh, it's like, okay, God has been generous to me. He gave me his son, so I'm going to be generous to me in my giving, or generous to him in my giving. The first tenth of, of, of what I get is going to go back to the Lord. Uh, conviction is, uh, the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of, of yourselves together. So church every week isn't a coin flip. It's a conviction that I'm going to be in the house of God with the people of God, worshiping God. Conviction is, I'm going to give the first fruits of my day to the Lord. I'm going to get up and start the day in, in prayer and Bible study. Conviction is Jesus saved me. He's the only way to God. So I'm going to tell other people about Jesus and, and how they can be saved. That's conviction producing obedience. Conviction leads to action. But conviction also prevents us from disobedience. It, it would be uh, examples of that would be the Bible teaches that God has reserved sex for marriage. So I'm going to wait until marriage. And I'm not going to put myself in situations that would tempt me uh, otherwise. You know, conviction is when marriage is hard. I, I'm not going to walk out on it. I'm not going to disobey God because the Bible teaches that marriage is for a lifetime. Conviction leads to obedience. It produces some actions and it prevents other actions. And again, want to know your convictions? Look at your actions. It's that simple. Um, you don't have to tell anybody your actions. Just somebody who knows your life will know what your convictions are. Five, conviction keeps us from being conformed to the culture around us. Six, conviction keeps us from using circumstances to justify compromise. Again, we can come up with a thousand excuses and justifications, but listen, those are lies from the devil. But think about this, number seven. Conviction is to be expressed with wisdom, tact, and humility. Isn't that how, that how those boys function? We need to hear this today. Listen, jerks for Jesus aren't going to fulfill the Great Commission. 
And there's a ton of those in the world right now. We're not going to make a difference by throwing bombs at people online. Listen, we're, we're not in Jerusalem anymore. We're in Babylon. And when you're in Babylon and, and, and you're not, you don't have the power, you've got to live with wisdom, tact, and humility. And eight, conviction empowers courageous stands that enable us to make a difference in the world. It's what they did in Daniel 1, Daniel 3, you know, with the idol, Daniel 6, the lion's den, throughout the whole book. How do we make a difference? How do we do this? To me, it's show and tell. We live it and we tell it. We live it and we tell it. We live with conviction and love, and then we tell people about Jesus. It's, it's us proclaiming the gospel to people uh, around us. And so many people in our church are doing that now. And I'm so thankful for that. And I commend you for that. And God is using you in that. It's, it's Like I said, it's sharing the gospel. But it's also it's being salt and light wherever God sovereignly places us. God put them in Babylon for a purpose. You're where you are for a purpose. At your school. Some of you at Carson Newman, some of you at Lakeway or Jeff County High School or Middle School, and, and where you work, you are there for a purpose. It's not coincidence or accident. You are there to be a difference maker. You are there to be a missionary. You are there to be salt and light, to live with conviction. Because here's the thing, if, if we compromise and get sucked into the culture, then people can dismiss us as hypocrites. But if we live with conviction, if we show the difference, then we can tell people why, and we can tell people it's not us, but we can tell people it's Jesus and his grace and what he did for us on the cross. Listen, like, uh, like these four young men that were given all these gifts, you have gifts and talents and abilities, and they're not for you. They're from God for him to make a difference in the church and in the world. Listen, if God's given you a gift, if God's given you a talent, use it to serve him in, in, in the church. Find a need and meet it. Use it to serve him in the world. Find a need and meet it. Find a hurt and, and, and heal it. You can make a difference because God has sovereignly purposed for you to make a difference. God is in control, divine sovereignty, but human responsibility is he has chosen to work through his people. And we can sit around again and whine about the craziness of the world and whine about what's wrong, or we can stand up, live with conviction, make a difference. Which one will you do? You say, that's hard. You say, well, I mean, let's be real. We've all compromised. And so this is where I want to end. Like I said, in every message, we're going to talk about the connection to Christ. Because we're not going to preach moralism. We're going to preach the gospel. Again, Daniel's not the hero of this story. There's one hero in the Bible, and his name's Jesus. He's the only guy uh, riding on the white horse. There's Jesus and the rest of us. We're all sinners. But there's pictures of him here. See, just like these young men left Jerusalem with a Babylon. They left God's place 
to go to an evil pagan world. But they were faithful and they were favored. Jesus left the culture of heaven and came to the foreign, pagan, sinful culture of the earth. But he was favored and he was faithful and he never compromised or sinned. He died on the cross. He came into our exile to end our exile from God and through the cross to reconcile us to him. You see, Daniel ultimately outlasted this evil empire because Jesus outlasted the Roman Empire and every other empire because even though he died, he rose from the dead and he lives today and he, he rules and he reigns today and he has given his church, his people, those that are redeemed, his resurrection power and we can live out of that and we can make a difference out of that, not in our strength, but in his strength. Danny Akins put it this way, he says, Christ is the greater Daniel, the greater Hananiah, the greater Mishael, and the greater Azariah. Jesus refused to compromise when he faced the emperor behind the emperor, Satan. How did Satan tempt Jesus to defile himself? He did so with food, yet Christ remained faithful. Christ took the judgment faithless Israel deserved at the hands of another pagan empire, but he walked away from death to outlast the Roman Empire and every empire to come. There's a certain divine irony in all this that is hard to miss. It is grace-filled and gospel-rich. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah will give a faithful witness before Ashpenaz and Nebuchadnezzar and be brought to live in the king's palace. Jesus, in contrast, would give a faithful witness before Herod and Pilate and be nailed to a cross. And yet by his death, all who trust him will live forever with the King of kings and the Lord of lords in his eternal palace. So be strong and of good courage in whatever God calls you to do. He is with you and he is accomplishing so much more than meets the eye. The world seems out of control, but God is in control. He's writing his story uh, on, on the, uh, of this world, and he's writing the story of your life, and he's connecting those two stories together. And his plan for his story and your story is to sovereignly use you to make a difference. So will you first and foremost submit to Jesus Christ as your Lord? To give yourself to him because he gave himself for you. Will we repent of our compromise? Will we commit in the way that Daniel did to spend time with God every day so God can build us up, strengthen us, form Christ in us, build convictions into us because we're not living on our own, we're living in his strength. And will, will we commit? to live as missionaries, to live as difference makers, to be salt and light, to find people who need Jesus and tell them, to serve, to meet needs, to use our gifts where we are in the world, to use our gifts where we are in the church. Listen, that's what the world needs right now. And that always has been and always will be God's plan for his people in the world. So if you're a part of God's people, that's his plan for you. The only question is, are we going to walk in our own plan? Or are we going to walk in his plan? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.